Welcome to Cast Dice, the podcast that explores the great big wild world of tabletop gaming that exists today. It's been said once or twice, mainly on this podcast, that we're in the middle of a gaming renaissance. There are just too many good games that we can spend our hobby time and our hobby dollars on, and it can lead to a serious case of not knowing what to play next. And I guess that's the purpose of this podcast. It's to talk about the games that my guests and I enjoy playing, to talk about big industry events, and to talk to the people who create these games. Well, th this episode, we are going to be talking about an industry event. Now, we've talked about several bolt action events on Cast Dice recently. Um, clearly, we just talked about the Scottish Open and Megatron 3000. Uh, we talked about Operation Sudlich not too long ago with our buddy down in Tasmania, the one and only Giraffe. But if we're going to be talking about bolt action events, particularly those in Australia, there is only one event that has to be mentioned. The big show is, of course, on Australia Day, each and every year in Canberra, we are talking about CanCon. Now, this year, that happens to land on the 21st and the 22nd of January. And over its history, it, we have had a couple of sets of TOs. For a long time, it was ran by Q-Man. When, when things first kicked off, Blair uh, ran a very tight ship. And filling his shoes was a big deal. And that big deal that filled in those shoes was the man, the myth, the legend, a man who's been on this show almost more than any other, our good friend Peter West. Now, Pete West stood down a couple of years ago, and we've had a few TOs since, and they've done a great job. But it's exciting that this year is the first year we get proper two TOs. We get a team of people stepping in to run the big show, and they are no strangers to A, running events, or to bolt action, or the bolt action community in Australia, and in some cases internationally. And joining me tonight is one of those two men, a man who's been on this show several times before. He's run tons of events in different places, including one at a tank museum not too long ago. I, I think we talked about it on this show. And of course, we are talking about Hari, one of the Bacon Burgers podcasts. And of course, his co-TO, Tristan, who isn't with us today, but Hari is. Hari, welcome to Cast Ice. How you doing? Thanks, Brad. It's great to be here. Um, yeah, doing good. Uh, neck deep in CanCon prep. It is one hell yes. of a challenge. Um, as someone who's run two-day events yourself, you know exactly how much work goes into an event, and this is, it's a monster. But we're doing our best, and we are on set to absolutely deliver a premiere event to the, uh, to the community. Now, for those who aren't aware of what CanCon is, CanCon isn't just a bolt action event. Although, for many of us, it's the only reason to go up there. CanCon is a massive game convention. It's one of Australia's largest, if not Australia's largest, tabletop slash uh, board gaming slash gaming in general convention. And it takes place in the Epic Convention Center in Canberra. Or as we like to sometimes think of it, a giant tin shed. And that, of course, doesn't actually do it justice. I went up there for Warhammer 40,000 events and Warhammer Fantasy events for years before I started playing Bolt Action. Well, before Bolt Action existed, because I've been going up there for that since. But Epic is a massive 
convention center. And yes, it has metal siding, hence our joke about being a tin shed. And yes, it is in one of the hottest weekends, it seems, without failing Canberra every year, which is why it always seems like a hot tin shed. But it is a honest-to-God convention center, and it has games of all kinds. All the majors and tons of minor games have events at CanCon. And in recent years, the Bolt Action event has grown and grown and grown. And this year, we're shooting for 80 players. Now, that is a really exciting goal and target, not to mention it it really does mark Bolt Action as one of the premier events at that convention. Har, you got to be excited about that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we are beyond keen for this. And given everything that's transpired over the last couple of years, all the problems we've had with COVID and how that's impacted events, we've seen a certain amount of, I guess you could say, bottlenecking of events where player counts have been a bit down. We want to bring CanCon back. We want to cement it back in that place at the top of the pyramid, and we want to get the maximum number of players, raise the profile of the game higher than it's ever been raised at CanCon before, and sort of make that impact on the event itself. We are here and we are here to stay. Yeah, exactly. Now you and Tristan have run events literally all over Australia for all size events. You've run campaign days, you've run competitive events. It's the gambit. Can you talk to us a little bit about what is the expectation for players coming to CanCon? Because I know I've heard you guys talk about it on the Bacon Burgers, and let's be clear about it up front. What kind of event is this if people are looking to come to the big show and check it out? So stepping right off the bat, this is first and foremost a competitive event within the spirit of the Australian meta. Now, I know a lot of people are a little bit gun-shy of the word competitive. Uh, Primarily, I think that stems from you know, perceptions of competitive scenes overseas. There are some stronger matters out there. Ours has always been a little bit different and in no way do Tristan and I want to alter that, you know, for to the detriment of the game. This is a competitive event, but throughout uh, an event such as CanCon, you will see the stronger players generally drift to the top of the, uh, the player pack. The, the guys that are there to have a good time they're going to hang around in the middle with like-minded people and speaking purely as a non-competitive player myself, I in no way identify as a competitive event player. I've been to CanCon before and yes, you do face some strong lists, but overriding all of that is the amazing time you have rolling dice, seeing the beautiful armies that are on display, seeing the amazing terrain that are at these events having a wander through the Epic Center and seeing some of the other games that are being played, all, all included, it is a, an amazing experience and I cannot recommend it highly enough. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to talk about Epic again in a minute because there are some really special parts to CanCon that, are, that make the Bolt Action Tournament even sweeter. But I wanted to add... A little bit to what you were saying about the competitive side of things, because I know for a while, I mean, there was the discussion. Some people were saying, is this just is this a new heavy competitive thing that's unlike the Australian meta? And as you say, it's it's fitting within that. Now, as someone who's played in CanCon many times and who actually won CanCon at one point, I 
can safely say that CanCon has always had an element of competitive uh, competition to it. It's always been bring your best show, be it, you know, bring something you're proud of that you've spent a lot of time painting, be it something that you're really keen on historically that you're really excited about and you want to share with other people. That has always been a strong part of the CanCon event. But also, if you want to trial something different, if you want to play something that's, you know, going to have teeth and is going to rock, well, CanCon has always had that. Now, millions of years ago, I took what I thought was a fun, historic um, Indian, British, recce force that was historically themed and who people often people said you can't play that um that can't win games because in version one um our <laughs> our armored carriers weren't great turns out it did pretty well but there's always been that fun element of put your best foot forward have a good time but see what shakes out at the other end and that has always been my experience with that and from having spoken to you and having uh, read some of the things and listened to some of the things you've said, you are carrying that proud tradition forward. Absolutely. There is nothing would be worse for us than having an event where people were walking away with a sour taste in their mouth. So to that end, even though this is an Australian meta community event, we are still vetting lists. We are doing our utmost to ensure that none of the abusive nonsense comes through. We don't want people getting a rude awakening when they rock up to a table and go, hang on a second, I'm facing four Katushas, six flamethrowers. What is this? How did this get through? We don't want to see that kind of lunacy um, because even though this is an event the size of CanCon, it's always going to have that appeal to the competitive players. And yes, it is a competitive event, but also we want to encourage new players to come. Events like CanCon, like Bear, Moab, Wintercon, they all grow the scene through the exposure of the game. If people walking past see players having a bad time or they see arguments between players, nothing will turn them off quicker. It's a surefire way to drive people away from the game. But if the TOs put in the work as Tristan and I are doing, as all TOs do, to ensure that players have a good time at that event, it creates this positive image and people are going to be drawn to that. Yeah, exactly. And you and I have both been to CanCon and we've seen game systems that you walk by and no one looks like they're having fun and the terrain looks lousy and I'm not naming game systems and certain editions are definitely different than others. But I I distinctly remember the last time I was at CanCon walking by uh, a game that I'd used to play uh, with uh, the Mouth of Madness and Dave of War and we just looked over and Lachlan looked around and said, did you notice that not one person in this event is smiling? And it was a massive event. And we looked and it wasn't just they weren't smiling. They looked miserable. Mm. One thing I've always noticed about the bolt action events at CanCon is the exact opposite. You have people laughing. You have people smiling. You have people playing games. And that's always been something that CanCon can hang its hat on. Now, part of that has always been the culture that was brought out by the TOs. And given the, the style of events that you and Tristan have run in the past, I'm, I'm proud to say that I, well, I'm, I'm really excited to see that tradition continue, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for that. Like, as someone who's been in the community for as long as you, that's a massive endorsement and we really appreciate it. And, you know, 
I've, I can honestly say I've walked away from bolt action events where my face has been hurting from how much laugh, laughing I've been doing. Right. Like the, between the craziness of the list that you see, the lunacy of what can happen when you roll a D6, there's no end to the comedy. It's absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. But in saying that, it is still a, it is still an event where people are trying to, you know, put their best foot forward. So I'm really curious to see what people are going to bring to the table. I can't wait to see how everything looks set up on the day. It's it's a wild ride. It has already been a wild ride, and it's only going to get wilder. Nice. Well, let's talk about the things that people are going to bring. Now, there are two sets of things that I want to talk about today with this. One is there are a few restrictions on what you can bring to the event. And two is we've changed a couple of the rules for bolt action for this event. And we're going to talk about that in a sec. But let's start with the restrictions. Now, before people start shaking their heads saying, oh, there's never been restrictions before, that has never been the case. Pete West has always put restrictions in, often in the form of how many flamethrowers people could bring, and more notably, one of the more controversial things was Panzer IVs weren't allowed to have Tiger Fear in previous years. So there's always been an element of catering bolt action for CanCon. So this year, though, we have a couple of rule restrictions for people's army lists. One, maximum one multi-launcher per army. So you're not running the four Katushas that Harry was talking about earlier. Um, now, Hari did mention... Um, not a bazillion flamethrowers. And that's the second restriction. You are allowed up to two flamethrowers. Now those could be vehicle or man packed. Um, You can take multiple platoons, but you cannot mix theater selector platoons and reinforced platoons. You can also take reinforced platoons or theater selector platoons only That means no armored slash tank platoons, please. Now, there are a few theater selector shenanigan lists that do change that bloody gulch I'm looking at you, um, where you can take multiple tanks. Again, if you are thinking about taking that, and I'm sure Harry will say this in a second, please email your list in sooner rather than later before you go out and buy it and paint it to make sure that it matches the character of the event that you're playing in. And last of all, Multinational platoons are not allowed. Now, Hari, I have just thrown out a bunch of restrictions at one time. Do you want to talk about those individually or holistically, or are you happy with what I've said? Yeah, sure. I'll go through them um, as you've listed them. So straight off the bat, the maximum of one multiple launcher. No one enjoys playing against multiple of those. And with allowing multiple platoons, allowing theater selectors, I'm thinking of CeeLo Hides as soon as I say this. There are selectors that allow you to abuse those out the wazoo, and we didn't want mm. that. It doesn't make for a fun event. Flamethrowers, um, most events that I've played in or that I have run have capped them at one to two. For CanCon, we felt that two was an acceptable compromise and making people choose between either vehicle or man-packed. Again, it's some people will agree, some will disagree. But at the end of the day, we've we think we've hit a mid ground where most people can meet and shake hands. Um, multiple platoons. Now, as soon as we opened up multiple platoons, there was a little voice in the back of my head that questioned: Are we going to see a reinforced platoon with a theater selector platoon? Mm-hmm. And no, 
straight no. No one wants to see that. I don't want to see a standard Russian platoon reinforced with a Stalingrad platoon or a Silo Heights platoon. Just, right. If anyone's listening and thinking of that, no, flat no. Um, yeah. All right, then reinforced platoons and theatre selectors only. Again, it's that thing of we couldn't allow one and not the other if we wanted to diversify the list. Now, that being said, not all theatre selectors are created equal. So any theatre selector lists that come through are being thoroughly scrutinised and we are taking all elements of that list into consideration. Um, the same goes for reinforced platoons. We're, you know, dotting the I's and crossing the T's, making sure that there are no rude awakenings in there for players. And as far as the multinational platoons, I'm still on the fence about these. I don't quite... I understand the desire to run them, and I understand the theme idea, mm -hmm. but personally... Looking at um, my history in gaming and Flames of War version 3, I think multinational platoons are something better left for a company-level game. So for those who may have beautifully painted multinational platoons out there, I'm sorry, guys, it's a no-no for CanCon. Just the rules interactions and the combinations that could be potentially put together, mm -hmm. it's something that I would rather not have to field on the day. Well, let's talk about that. If someone has a multinational platoon that they've spent, you know, countless hours painstakingly, painstakingly painting, um, because a rifleman's a rifleman's a rifleman in bolt action, would it be possible, for example, if you had something that was like French and English, to just run it as either French or English, as long as the player is clear with their opponent? what it is and that there is only one set of national rules absolutely that would be more than acceptable if there's a you know if that's part of the pre-game conversation with every opponent hey by the way i've got you know these paratroopers they're using british rules you know this is a british platoon they're painted as french or you know this is a british platoon these paras are painted as americans i'm just using them as british paras that's fine i don't have a problem with that but in saying that it the onus falls on the player then to communicate that to their opponent at every juncture. Like yeah. leave no room for misunderstanding whatsoever. Yeah, that makes total sense. All right, cool. Well, let's, let's talk about a few things that are different from your standard bolt action rule set, because there are five rules that are changed as you refer to it in the player pack. They are house rules that are being used for CanCon. Now, the first of those is rather significant. It is open-topped vehicles with an armor value of seven or higher adjust the way they take pins from small arms fire in the following ways. Inexperienced vehicles always take the pin, so no difference. Uh, regular vehicles ignore the pins on a four-up, and veteran vehicles ignore the pins full stop. So basically, anything that doesn't have a heavy weapon bonus to penetrate a vehicle in this case, is basically treating open-top vehicles as enclosed as far as shooting goes. Now, of course, that doesn't make the difference for assaulting. That's different. Am I explaining this right, Harry? Absolutely. Um, this is something we wanted to incentivize diversity in the lists. And as a, T as a TO yourself who's handed out many a Hannah Swag Award, that award was created because Hannah Mags were so bad in version one. 
Mm-hmm. And let's be honest, even with the additional shots, they've not gotten any better in version two. They still have a prohibitive points cost attached to them. So our attempt to fix this and to trial it was to introduce this change so that the pinning mechanic is somewhat transposed from enclosed fighting vehicles. Mm-hmm. Now, we haven't thus far, we have not seen any lists that are, you know, there's nothing too different in what we're seeing. It's still okay. quite standard list building. Um, there's one or two half tracks here and there, but we're hoping that someone might actually look at the American Armored Rifle Platoon and think, oh, hang on a second. Those M3s no longer take pins consistently. Mm-hmm. I've actually got a reason to, to put that on the table because, yeah. you know, let's be honest, that's a fantastic list. I'd love to see one on the table. I've often dreamed of running one, but again, because half tracks were so bad because of the way the pinning mechanic functioned with them, I never had any incentive to do it. Yeah. So, you know, hopefully we see some uh, some changes for the better because of that one. Well, friend of the show, longtime TO of, uh, I believe he did Cambridge Too Far, uh, Steve Tibbs used to run a plain Jane American platoon, all zipped up in American half tracks. And he is a Superman as far as I'm concerned, because he won tons of events with that and just went, yeah, okay. All the heavy machine guns and M3 half tracks. No problem. Uh, Let's talk about the second one. Uh, Soft skin vehicles are destroyed on a two up. If they receive damage from any weapon with a penetration value, basically a heavy weapon, but HE, sorry, be it HE or AP. Uh, a roll of a one is still a failure as per the standard bolt action version two rulebook. So in this case, rather than rolling on the damage chart, anything but a one means that uh, soft skin vehicles are destroyed. That doesn't count for SMGs, rifles, anything like that. It only counts for weapons that have a penetration value, like a heavy machine gun, an ATR, up to a heavy howitzer slash super heavy AT gun. Can you talk to us about this? And is that in response to what we've seen in a dra- dramatic increase of over recent years, <laughs> truck spam? Um, look, honestly, from my point, yes. We, many players, uh, myself included, are somewhat guilty of truck spam. And for something that was such a precious resource during the war, we see trucks on the battlefield far more than we, you know, realistically would. Now, there were many different options that we toyed around with for addressing this. Ultimately, the implementation of the two plus damage mechanic was our solution. The the rolling on the damage chart, I feel, grants them a little too much durability. Um, I've can on I've ricocheted too many uh, main Panther rounds off trucks for far too often. And it seems somewhat ludicrous that a high velocity 75 millimeter round would fail to immobilize or destroy a truck when punched straight through the engine block. So again, we, this is another aspect of that, you know, trying to encourage that diversity in the list, making people think a little bit more you know, do you want to splash for a truck or shave a few points here and there, go for something that's armored, a little bit more reliable, you know, 
make players think rather than just having them pull a carbon copy 1250 list out of their back pocket. Exactly. Exactly. Well, let's talk about a rule that looks vaguely familiar. I believe you guys got this from the juggernauts. Maybe I'm wrong there. Suppression. Infantry uh, team MMGs now inflict one pin on a unit that is declared as the target within range using a fire order, plus an additional pin if they inflict a successful hit. A targeted unit may only suffer the effects of suppression once per turn. So machine guns automatically cause one pin, but then there's a chance for a second pin. MMGs have come in for a lot of criticism as being overcosted, underperforming, in a slot that is too easily removed, not reflective of their you know actual role during the war. And yes, we did bor- we borrowed this from the Juggernauts. Uh, hats off to those boys for developing and testing this mechanic. And again, this is something that we hope we'll see people take more MMGs. Um, we deliberately made it um, not squad based, just so that it was purely that support slot. We didn't. We felt that the uh, I think it's the Japanese MMG squad from campaign new guinea yep they already get enough of a buff they're all fanatic they don't need the ability to throw out extra pins and we deliberately kept it off vehicles because we didn't want to see a you know a daca stewart horde or you know italian tanks with a million and three mgs just blasting Mm -hmm. away for all they're worth they're already good enough oh absolutely and i've been on the receiving end of that and no thanks never again yep but suppression is we hope we will see, again, more diversity in the lists. Now, there's still the debate to be had about snipers and their interaction with the game. Is auto-removing teams, you know, still ideal? That's a conversation for another day. But hopefully MG teams throwing out a, another pin, we're hoping to see a few more. If for no other reason, then it gives people a good diorama piece to paint up because they're a fantastically exactly. evocative uh, unit choice and very important for the world war ii tabletop let's talk about light machine guns a squad that is selected at full strength and has at least 10 men to be considered full strength may take a squad integrated lmg at no additional cost for example a siberian squad could uh, would have to take all 12 men to qualify A partisan squad would have to take all 20 men in order to qualify. Conversely, uh, a CC recon squad would not qualify as it has a maximum size of nine men available. Volk's term would also not qualify uh, because they don't have the option to take an LMG. Uh, Why this rule? Um, Obviously, it's to see more LMGs on the table. Uh, But yeah, talk to us about this. So LMGs are one of those things that, again, like MMGs, there's a fair amount of robust debate around that. And we kicked this one back and forth for months. Back in the days of the Bolt Action Alliance, we had the five-point LMGs. Now, mm-hmm. for those who don't know what that was about, back in version one, LMGs only threw out three shots per turn. Mm-hmm. So at 20 points, they were way overcosted for what you got. Five-point LMGs were a good fix. 
with the buff to them in V2, we felt that five points was too cheap. We could have gone for 10 points, but this was where we sort of had to compromise. I was in favor of 10 points. Tristan was in favor of the full strength squad to get the integrated LMG. Now, it's looking at it retrospectively, I think the full strength squad with the integrated LMG for free, that's more reflective of squad organization during the war. Yeah. The LMG was and still is an integral part of infantry tactics on the battlefield. Um, the danger we wanted to avoid was throwing them out willy nilly. Yeah. We didn't want every man and his dog having a free LMG for nothing. Schutzen squads already get a free LMG, so they're not able, they're not able to double dip. That was where the uh, at least 10 men to be considered full strength came into mm -hmm. play. So that way you wouldn't see German players bringing eight-man squads with two free LMGs. It just, again, that would not be enjoyable. And making sure that the unit had an entry option to take an LMG, that, again, was also an integral part of putting this rule in place. Now, as you said, we're hoping to see more LMGs on the table. We're hoping to see people try and emulate fire and maneuver tactics a bit more than what we currently see. LMGs, I think, are an overcosted uh, unit choice, a unit option, but I think they're an underrepresented one on the tabletop, um, especially when you have the likes of the American BAR kicking around. And when you start comparing the two, it's very difficult to see to justify that 20 point expenditure. Personally, I'd rather take another two bodies in a reg squad or you know, another two Panzerfausts and another two assault rifles. But hopefully, we'll, um, we'll see some changes. Definitely. Well, I did mention there were five changes, but there are two subsections to the LMG. Now, we hit the big one. The other one is LMGs taken by motorcycle infantry will only be able to fire as part of an advance move. So V2 swung the nerf bat at motorcycle infantry, if I'm honest. And I'm quite partial to a, uh, a moving sea of motorcycles just blasting away for all they're worth. And I think it's a shame that we don't see Krabschutzen squads or Soviet motorcycle infantry squads on the table as much as we would like to. And with the new plastic kits that Warlord has released for the Italians... There's some very tasty Bersaglieri options in Campaign Western Desert. Mm -hmm. Now, to disallow them the ability to fire on the move, as they have done in the past, I think is something that should not be allowed to remain. And it's a difficult argument to make when, in the recce vehicle slot, you have multiple nations able to take motorcycles with MGs on sidecars that can move and shoot. This was a simple rebalancing, um, probably not as impactful as some of the other changes we've made, but it might make a few players bring out an old unit from retirement or, you know, maybe splash out on a couple of new Rubicon kits and say, hey, let's put a squad of crowd shots in the list and see what happens. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, let's talk about rule number five. Uh, Piats, Bazookas, and Panzerschrecks now use the one in the one inch he template when firing against units in buildings the same way a light mortar would so this is again a an attempt to replicate how these uh weapons were used on the battlefield 
we've there's many documented uh, examples of bazookas or PRs being used to clear entrenched sniper positions or suppress medium machine gun teams in buildings. And the detonation of a shape charge round within an enclosed space, it would throw out a, a horrific shrapnel effect and the the spalling, if it hit the side of the building, you would still have that effect replicated as concrete and brickwork gets blasted around inside. We wanted to give these units a little bit more utility uh, rather than futility because throwing a single shot at a building and killing potentially killing one person, it's not that great a return on investment, especially when that same team can be auto-removed by a sniper. The only thing we didn't do was give it to the Panzerfaust because at five points for what a Panzerfaust does, it's already too good of a choice. We right. don't need to make them any better. We just need to tweak the things in the background. Speaking of tweaking, things that we've tweaked in the past, one of the frequently asked questions might fall into the category of things that we're talking about, which is I'm taking a Panzer IV GHJ. Do I benefit, for, uh, benefit from the Tiger Fear rule? And for this event, they do not. Um, no. Again, this is more a response to the, I guess you could call it confused, approaches we've seen in the FAQs and the errata documents where every few months tiger fear seems to change you know there's the old question when is a tiger not a tiger when it's 19 inches away so yeah it's yeah it's one of those things with new players coming into the game they may not be aware of errata rulings if they're only six weeks into the bolt action community and all they have is a copy of the v2 rule book and the armies of germany book they probably have the only have knowledge of the old version of Tiger Fear. So to avoid any potential uh, unpleasantness related to rules, rules discussions or, you know, rules disputes that they may think are unfair or a personal attack or whatever, a flat no. It's just okay. easier. We kicked around a couple of ideas of, you know, if the Panzer IV is veteran, if it has the uh, shirts and side skirts, you know, giving it that boxy outline. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it was just simpler to say no. And just that's not surprising because that's, that's been a thing at CanCon for years. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the games themselves. So as I said, CanCon is a two-day event. It is the 21st and the 22nd of January, 2023. It is three rounds on day one, starting at 9 a.m. and running until 6 p.m. And on day two, again, it kicks off at 9 a.m. And the ceremony to end CanCon is, well, bolt action anyway, is 3.30. As I said, five games. Now, it is always interesting to me as someone who spends a lot of time thinking about missions to talk about what missions will be played at these big events. And you are running, unsurprisingly, five missions for five games. A couple of those, round two, for example, is using sectors from the rulebook. And round five is using no man's land from the V2 rulebook. Uh, but on round one and three, we are using missions, Heartbreak Ridge and Nuts in particular, from the Bolt Action Alliance 2020 mission pack. Or if you are using the mission pack previous to that, 
they are exactly the same with slightly different art. Both of those missions have been play tested at nauseum across the world and have been used. And it's, it's kind of nice to see them showing up here, mainly because I think Heartbreak Ridge is still one of my favorite missions of all time. And there it is. So uh, round one, boom. Uh, and then around four, you're actually using a mission from the upcoming Bolt Action Alliance mission pack for 2022. Now, given that our art guy is a little busy at the moment and we haven't had time to fully play test the last two missions, uh, we are actually probably going to push that to 2023. But Supply Drop, which will be in that and has run in several Melbourne event this, events this year, will be used at CanCon in round four. So just to clarify, Heartbreak Ridge, round one. Sectors, round two. Nuts, round three. Supply Drop, round four. No Man's Land, round five. Podium and prizes and ticker tape parade. Huzzah. Why these missions for CanCon? Straight off the bat, it's always difficult to pass off a well-written mission. And the, the missions put forward by the Bolt Action Alliance have always been at the higher end of the quality spectrum. They're well thought out. They are thoroughly play tested. Players themselves have a great time when playing them. Now, going through the rule book, not all rule book missions are created equal. Sectors and No Man's Land are probably the two standout missions for competitive events. Um, I've certainly had some crazy fun playing Top Secret, mm -hmm. but it's not the ideal mission for a uh, for a tournament. So when we sat down to knuckle this out, straight off the list, Heartbreak Ridge was up there. It is a mission that pushes a player to drive across the board. It stops this castling up in the background. It stops mm -hmm. you from falling into a stale play style. It's, some, it's quick, it's engaging, and it's something that gets the, uh, gets the blood flowing, you know, gets you enthused for the next round. So it's a great way to kick the day off. Sectors, again, it's, um, it's been a while since I've played Sectors, actually. I haven't rolled dice since about May of this year. Um, but Sectors is one of those missions where, again, you have to think about what you're doing. You have to be very aware of your opponent's positioning. Um, again, the same thing with nuts. Now, Supply Drop, I've not had a chance to play, but the reviews that I've heard from the Melbourne scene have been absolutely glowing. It is... I think there was an attempt on the Gold Coast to replicate something along those lines of you know pushing forward to capture supplies. But the way it was implemented was very flawed and it would lead to some very one-sided games. From what I've heard of Supply Drop, you've thought out, because first of all, let's acknowledge you wrote Supply Drop and you did a stellar job at it. Okay. Now, you've thought out exactly how things should be placed and how things should interact within the wider narrative of that game. And that shows in the level of praise that it has come in for in the Melbourne scene. And I'm looking forward to seeing people take that mission back to their home communities after at the end of CanCon, because I'd love to see more people playing it. I'd love to play it myself, but that would involve finding time for a game and that. unsticking myself from several buildings. With Supply Drop, Supply Drop was 
an intentional build. And I, as you mentioned, I wrote Supply Drop. I did. I also wrote Heartbreak Ridge and I wrote Nuts. Um, but I wrote those in 2016. Supply Drop was a response to the feedback that we got and of all the missions from the original Bolt Action Alliance mission pack. Kitty Hawk Down receives some of the most positive feedback and it receives the most negative by a country mile. So much negative because of the way that it can be random. And so Supply Drop was an intentional effort on my behalf to correct what the criticisms of Kitty Hawk Down were. Now, I I love playing Kitty Hawk Down. I actually played it the other day. I think it's one of my favorite missions. And credit is where credit's due. That mission was stolen wholeheartedly from a giant Melbourne event called uh, Arcanicon. And Arcanicon ran a mission called Thunderhawk Down. And I repurposed it and renamed it and changed the rules to make it match bolt action, obviously, and spent a lot of time playtesting it to make it actually work for bolt action. But the idea, the kernel came from Thunderhawk Down. So Kitty Hawk Down did have that element of, depending on where the plane landed, it, it sometimes led to some feel bads. So with Supply Drop, you know that one objective is going to drop in the middle of the table. And then because you roll to see where the next objective goes, it you roll and it moves off the center point. Now, what I like about that mission is you then place the another objective, a third objective, in the mirror image in the exact opposite direction of where the first one went. So let's say you you are thinking about your tabletop. If you are looking at your opponent straight across and you happen to roll a direction that if you were looking at a clock would be 12 o'clock and it moves 10 inches toward directly towards your opponent, you would feel bad if that was you. So the way this works is it not only have one objective 10 inches off the center point to your opponent, you have one that goes 10 inches exactly towards you at the same time. Exact opposite. And of course, depending on which direction you roll, it could go in all sorts of wacky directions, but it's always fair. It's always symmetrical. And before people ask, because I always get asked this now that people have started to play this mission, Brad, I don't have an arrow dice. I don't play 40K. I don't know where this arrow dice comes from. If you look at your order dice right now, ladies and gentlemen, any order dice in bolt action land, there is an arrow at the top of every face. You just roll an order dice. And there's an arrow there that tells you where to go. Supply drop is a combination of Kitty Hawk Down and Heartbreak Ridge, which, again, were the two most praised missions in the original pack. And by putting them together and making things symmetrical and fun, I really enjoy Supply Drop. And um, having just run it at Operation Bear, and we ran it at Easter Front earlier this year and a few other casual game days, it seems to be well-received. So thank you for taking it on. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. And yeah, as you said, thoroughly well received. Um, Kitty Hawk is a great time, but as you said, there can be some feel-bads. Right. Um, but visually, I think uh, in the theater of the mind, you can't beat a mission. No. Nothing comes close. Um, Having an airplane and- land on your unit? Yeah, <laughs> it can feel bad, I get it. But, you know, when, and yeah. when bolt action happens... I actually really enjoy that. And, uh, you know, suffer thee who decides to park in the middle of the board on that mission. Anyway, uh, round five. 
Round no five, Land. Yeah, round five, No Man's Land. It's a straight-up knockdown fight. This is for the end of the day when your brain is absolutely cooked, your soul has exited via your feet halfway through <laughs> round four, you are tired, you're sweaty, you just want it over and done with, get into your opponent's face and just have the best bash at it that you possibly can. And when it's all said and done, prizes and glory at the end and commiserations to whoever comes at the bottom of the pack. Well, let's talk about those prizes and all that glory, shall we? Um, We have nine slash 10 awards for this event. uh, And we'll talk about that sort of nine and a half in a second, that half at the end, (laughs) um, because it is an important trophy, but it is for something different than the rest of the event. So our first podium, our our first spot is obviously first place, second place and third place. Kind of self-explanatory. Then we have Baptism by Fire, which is the best new player. We have the Edelweiss, which is best theme. We have the Higher Call, which is best sports. Now, you guys went a little off reservation with this one, knowing that it's so many games and knowing the number of players you have and wanting to reward that that positive play experience. Can you talk about what you've done with higher call? Because it's not just one trophy anymore, is it? No. So when we sat down and ran the numbers, we realized that if one person plays five opponents over a two day event, say there's a player pool of 20 players. Realistically, you're going to get a fairly good idea of who is the best sports at that event. If you then blow that player count out to 60 to 80 to hundred, you then get a very restricted idea of who the best sports is. Right. People's opinions will differ. In order to mitigate that somewhat, we decided, well, let's open that up to three spots. There are three potential awards for best sports. Um, at, when it's all said and done, all those awards will say best sports, but it won't be a simple case of just one person because you might go to that event, see that person play, Never play them through the the course of the event and have no idea of what they are, what they're like as a player, as a person. They'll still go home a stranger to you. But there's always those players that you come up against and you have a great time playing them. You have a great time afterwards. You see them through the rest of the event and, you know, you'll have a quick word here and there. But for whatever reason, they miss out on best sports. And I think that's a shame. And I think at an event the size of CanCon, we should absolutely highlight and praise the level of sportsmanship that is present within our community because there are some amazing players out there. Uh, you know, straight off the bat, I'll, I'll stick my hand up and say, Rob Deacon, if you're listening, I've never had or heard a single word of complaint against that man. I've had two fantastic games against him and I would happily roll dice with him any day of the week except I live in Mullumbimby and he lives in Melbourne. So there's you mm-hmm. know, that geographical problem. Now, uh, I would like to point out for those who are saying this event is, oh, it's too competitive, this, that, and the other thing. You're giving an equal number of trophies and awards to best sport as you are your actual podium. Yeah, absolutely. That That's telling. Now, you also have an award for the long march, the furthest traveled. Now, we did mention a half award in there as well. 
which is best table. Now, can you talk to us about the terrain drive for CanCon and how you are rewarding people to bring the best of the best to the big show? An event the size of CanCon, when there's that many, this many players, this many tables involved, even though Tristan and I would love to, we can't supply 40 tables worth of terrain. Um, we'll do our level best. And to that end, we put out a call to the community to show us their best table work. If they're able to bring it, absolutely bring it. But to go that little step further to encourage players to bring the absolute best, we've put together the best table award. Now, we're still working out the prize for that. So that is still under wraps. But we can tell you that at the end of CanCon, the table that is voted best table will be going home with a prize. Um, that's not to say everyone will be going home empty-handed. Every single player will walk out with something. I can guarantee you that. Now, I know that people are going to be going home a little something-something because I've been listening to the HMG podcast but before we get to that, let's let's talk about painting. Now, armies must be fully painted and based, and they must be what you see is what you get. So you can't say, hey, this rifleman over here has an SMG, and this rifleman over there has an LMG, and all these SMG guys over here are riflemen. That isn't how it works. You got to have what it is on the table. But... You also have a best painted award. Um, and I know that that's always been highly contested at CanCon. Can you talk to us about be the, just the painting expectations for the event and um, the excitement about that part of the show? So the best painted and the painting requirements, we absolutely wanted to see people put in the effort with their armies. We want to see those you know, beautifully painted themed forces. We realize that not everyone's painting skill is equal, and that's fine. Put in the best effort you can. As long as you're right. happy with the painting work on the miniatures, that is the most important thing. It's not for someone else to sit here and judge you, but we want to see you bring fully painted armies because at the end of the day, two fully painted armies playing on a table of beautiful terrain is going to look absolutely amazing, and it's going to create some fantastic photos that you can then look back on and say, hey, that was that time I played CanCon 2023. God, that was a great table. Look at that army. I put my heart into that. Absolutely love it. Um, and as you've said, the category, of the podium for best painted is, I would argue it's almost more highly contested than first place. Um, I, I think most people view best painted as a much bigger feather in the cap. Um, and again, to that end, it's... Uh, we're being fairly stringent with the requirements there, fully painted, fully based. Um, players must paint every single model in their army themselves. Any commission painted armies will not be considered eligible. Um, you know, any armies that have been painted for you by a friend, if that friend is attending CanCon, then they will be in the running, but you sadly will not. But right. such, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, this is a, in a Swiss event format. Historical matchups will happen when possible in round one. But after that, we are getting stuck straight into this is a Swiss style tournament. 
Um, it is not Axis and Allies, although you may try and get that going for round one. But once the pairings go live, it is straight Swiss, um, which again is the same that CanCon has always been. Now, we did talk before about everyone leaving with a little something, something. <laughs> now, Hari, let's talk A, about the amazing list of uh, sponsors you have for this event, because it's a hell of a list. But then let's talk about what everyone will be going home with. When Chris and I first started uh, kicking around price support and approaching companies to see if they'd be interested in sponsoring the event, we were somewhat apprehensive. Um, you know, I think that little voice, the fear of rejection is always there. But the companies involved have come to the table in absolute spades. I cannot speak highly enough of the companies that I'm about to list. We have, first of all, uh, Warlord Games. They've been absolutely phenomenal in their support. And we have right on their heels, our friends of War and Peace, Sean, and the whole team. They're doing a stellar job as they do for every event they support. Amen. Then we have Rubicon. They've come to the table as well. Um, the War and Peace is holding our price support at the moment, but we're eagerly awaiting getting our hands on that. We then have War Games Atlantic, who, when you hear what I've got in store for you from the price support we have from War Games Atlantic, your heads are probably going to explode. It's awesome. We man. then have Dice of War, our good friend Adam Brooker, is providing the CanCon 2023 Bolt Action Exclusive D6. Everyone will be getting one of them, and you'll find out how you're getting that in just a minute. Mm -hmm. We've got our old friend Viv from Knights of Dice. Again, he's bringing a couple of tables of terrain, and as always, he's a stalwart of the community. So, Viv, mm -hmm. thank you so much, man. We've got Battlefield Accessories. They've come to the party as well. And again, this is all part of the uh, the little surprise I'm teasing. We've got Eureka Miniatures. They're supplying some of their top quality products. And for anyone who's ever seen their Russians, Japanese, Australians, Chinese, those ranges are absolutely beautiful. By all means, get your hands mm -hmm. on them. Those Deep Chinese cuts. in particular. Oof. Oh, just, uh, just played against some of them recently. Unbelievable. Mm. Deep Cut Studios have come to the party providing us with eight beautiful mats for the tables. So again, another amazing company to check out. Micro mm -hmm. Art Studio, have, um, they have committed, but due to um, they've just launched a new range and that's kind of snowballed into something much larger than they expected. They're doing their best to try and get to us, but that may not happen. Uh, unusually for a CanCon event, we also have Kaiju Beer, as a sponsor, mm -hmm. there'll be a few slabs of those um, going out as prizes. Uh, anyone who's underage will work something out entirely, something different out. Because sorry, we're not we're not um, we're not putting minors on the road to uh, early drinking. No, exactly. <laughs> no, uh, but in terms of the surprise that we've been building up here, now. We, Tristan got this idea from Andrew Baxter when he ran CanCon this year. Mm -hmm. uh, he had a goodie bag and everyone got a sprue of miniatures and a few other little things. So we thought, well, why don't we do that? So to that end, we've got a bunch of marketing material, the event exclusive D6, 
a pre-painted MDF building from Battlefield Accessories. It'll be a small little outhouse or uh, farm shed or something. And a sprue from Wargames Atlantic. Now, awesome. they've been thundering through releases. Uh, the speed at which they put them out is just mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. And our friend Carl has implied that they want to go even faster. I, I don't know how. I don't think my wallet will survive if they do. But best <laughs> of luck to them. But everyone will go home with a bag of something. You will have a sprue of miniatures, a dice, a little building, some marketing material. Everyone will bleed. You'll have that before you even start the event. We're handing that out as you walk in. Before you've even played a game, you've already got a prize. There is a, uh, a gold ticket in one of those bags. That's completely random. And... That surprise we will leave because someone is either going to scream, cry, or pass out when they win that. Mm-hmm. I think I know what it is because I think yep. Justin acquired it when I was with him <laughs> on the weekend. And ladies yeah. and gentlemen, I'm not spoiling it, so don't ask. Mm-hmm. But I assure you, it is a hell of a prize. Yeah, absolutely. We're doing our level best to make sure that this is the best event that it possibly could be. Um, We would absolutely try and lower the temperature a little bit if we could, but unfortunately that's outside the realms of our abilities. We're good, but we ain't that good. Mm -hmm. Just uh, make sure you're wearing deodorant, ladies and gentlemen, as someone who's played in many can cons, please (laughs) pretty Panda, please. Hari, we have we've covered this sort of from top to bottom, but I think the most important information that we can hand out right now is how can people sign up for CanCon? All right. So if you're looking, if you're hearing this and you're going, hey, CanCon is the event that I want to hit. If I hit no events for 2023, I want to make sure I hit CanCon. Canberra Game Society. So jump on Google, punch in Canberra Game Society, their website go through their CanCon 2023 portal. It, I mm-hmm. believe the portal just says CanCon. Go through that. You'll find the, you'll find tournaments. Go through that. Scroll down until you find bolt action. Hit buy ticket. The email address for the event for list submissions, CanConBA at Outlook.com. Yes, Outlook has its flaws, but bear with us. We tried yeah. Gmail and so many things went haywire. It was just not fun. Lists are coming in. And we're doing our best to get to all of them. We will be getting to as many questions as we can. There are a few uh, interesting interactions that have been brought to light since. We've had to put up a couple of, you know, event in-house errata posts. But, Mm -hmm. hey, that's all part of the fun and games of being a TO. Um, I'd much rather be planning CanCon than organizing it. But when it's all said and done, I'm happy that the, uh, the community is going to be getting its money's worth for this event. Tickets are $75 and, you know, please get in, get in quick. Let's get that number count boosted. We've got 31 players so far and we'd love to see more. Exactly. And it is important. I know that, look, I don't want to say gamers wait to the last minute, but gamers <laughs> wait to the last minute. <laughs> Folks, if you're going to this, get in, get your tickets soon because uh, CanCon, if you are not aware, and having played in many game systems where this happens, people buy tickets for all the games, and the games that sell their tickets quicker 
and need more spaces for more players, the Canberra Game Society takes those places and gives them to other games if there are events that have lots of empty spaces. I know, for example, one year Bolt, Bolt Action picked up like 25 spaces from the Warhammer 40,000 event. Get your tickets for this event. If you're planning to go to play Bolt Action, get in there, get your tickets soon so they can A, plan for you, but more to the point, B, Canberra doesn't try and take, or the Canberra Gaming Society doesn't try and take those tickets away. And then when you try and register later, you'll be sold out. Yeah, it's uh, it's not going to look great if uh, Tristan and I have to try and form a human wall as CGS staff try and take uh, six by fours from us. But if that's what mm -hmm. it takes to maintain those places, we absolutely will. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, get in quick, get your list in, You know, get as much time under your belt as you possibly can. You know, I don't want to put a shadow over the event, but we all know what's been going on for the last couple of years. We know that it's not gone. So we don't want to see COVID crush this event. Right. Please get in, get your ticket bought and paid for, get everything organized. We'll see you in January and we'll have an absolutely amazing event. The one mm -hmm. that you've never, the likes of which you've never seen before. And if you need one more reason to go, ladies and gentlemen, CanCon itself is a hell of a good time. I can't tell you, I mean, I can tell you stories about going to Mooseheads after hours and or going to karaoke with the best of the best of the best, sir, of multiple gaming systems and otherwise just carrying on in the city of Canberra in a way that the, the good citizens there definitely don't need. However, you also have you will see people there that you haven't seen in years, guaranteed, because you, people have migrated to other game systems. All of a sudden, they're all in one place. You get to see all your mates again. You get to walk by some absolutely beautiful and sensational um, sign-up games where people, or even display games where people set up massive tables with these huge battles that run maybe two or three times over the course of the weekend. And you get to experience that either as a player or you get to watch it. And I know watching it, why would I want to do that? Trust me, these are spectacular spectacles that you definitely need to check out. But that doesn't even get into all of the awesome shops, all of the awesome stands where you can buy things and the secondary game store, which in and of itself is worth its weight in gold. There is so much to do, so much to see so much to spend money on it's amazing <laughs> i highly recommend cancon as the gaming event of the year and if you're a bolt action player this is a no-brainer kids just check it out well hari as always i think our time has come to a close it's been about an hour but thank you very much for joining us it's an absolute pleasure to be here brad and thanks again we really appreciate this anytime my man and uh Ladies and gentlemen, hopefully we will uh, see you at CanCon or another event soon. Stay tuned because I have had a crud load of requests to talk about Operation Bear. Uh, possibly more requests than there were players at the event, but we'll talk about that uh, coming up in an episode soon. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, when you are playing the games that we know and love, I hope that your dice roll hot. I hope your beverages are cold. But more than that, we at Cast Dice hope that you are having fun. Stay safe out there, gang. Good night.